0: If you have a Bible today, find the book of Mark, and we're going to be in chapter number 12, Mark chapter 12. Uh, Today is really the second week of our Easter series of messages, and before we move on too much farther, let me go ahead and put that Easter slide up here for me. Uh, Just wanted to make you aware of our Easter services here at the church in Sauk Center and Long Prairie, you can read those. Some things to note on that is just that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, we have different service times here than a normal Sunday. And so we have three services here instead of two. So pay attention to that, don't miss that. Uh, and uh, we love Easter around here. Good Friday, we have this beautiful hour-long service. We'll take communion together and it'll just be a great day as we um, reflect and remember and look at the crucifixion of Jesus. And so that's coming up. Uh, I, I am massively excited for this Easter season, uh, as we as we get to celebrate and we get to think about um, some of the events that really are why we are what we are. Uh, that Jesus came. To die, lived a perfect life, and died a horrendous death for us, and then rose again three days later. It's what Christianity is all about. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus, there was no Christianity. That it, it is central, it is core, it is everything, and uh, and so it's just a beautiful thing. But we've been looking at some of the main events that lead up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus in in the story. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at an event from the life of Jesus that is known as the Last Supper. The Last Supper. And we're gonna start by just reading the entire story out of the book of Mark. It's like, I don't know, 20 verses or something. Super long, but that's okay. So stand with me all over this place and we're gonna read Mark chapter 14. We're looking, we're starting with verse number 12. And we're going to go all the way to 26, so get ready, get comfortable, but this is our story for today. So here's what it says. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, uh, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Verse 20, it is the one of the twelve, he replied, who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body." Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Uh, God, we... We just take a deep breath together and, and open up our hearts, our minds to what you would have to say to us. And God, we just pray that even as we look at, at this event from a couple thousand years ago, that, that brand new, incredible things would come out of this. God, that you would speak encouragement, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, and God, that our hearts would be moved uh, and aligned with you in a different way, and so God, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would use me and speak through me, and God, that these weren't wouldn't be like my thoughts, but that your very word would come. And so we just give this to you, God, in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Let's go. <clears throat> well, some of my favorite childhood memories uh, from my life as a kid was gathering together with my cousins and aunts and uncles and everyone for family events. Anybody with me? Okay, all right some of us are, that's your story. Okay, but we would all get together. Um, my, my aunts and uncles actually lived all the way from up to Bemidji, way down to like Worthington and so it was all over the place and everywhere in between and we would get together and Thanksgiving or different things and I remember as a kid uh, none of my family had, you know, nice, beautiful homes, and so it was these uh, small houses, and they would be filled to the brim with people and kids everywhere. And you and and all, every single time, the center of the entire thing was the meal. Uh, where we would eat and you'd and you'd you'd go through the little line or whatever because there was so many of us we never got to just sit around a table and pat there was so many that you'd go through your line and grab your turkey or your ham or whatever else and and then you would go spread out through the entire house, sitting on the couches and the chairs and the floors if you need to and the tables and everywhere and we would just eat this memorable amazing meal together and of course, as you get older uh, like the extended family stuff kind of changes, doesn't it, for you? Uh, Where everyone begins to have your own family, you don't see your aunts and uncles and cousins anymore in the same way. But just this past Christmas, all right, we uh, we had this gathering, and for some reason, my aunts and my uncles decided, you know, we're all going to get this, and, and my aunts and uncles are all the grandmas and grandpas now, okay, that's how that works, okay, but we, they decided we're all going to get these little cabins up at Breezy Point, because they're super cheap up there in the winter, and uh, uh, and so we all got these cabins up at Breezy Point, individual cabins, small cabins, and all of the families crammed into all these individual cabins, and what did we have to to do, but we had to more than once gather every single person from every cabin and shove them all together in one cabin for a meal. And and this was one of those things for us where there were so many of us and you've got grandkids and all sorts of stuff happening where you could not even walk through the floor. There were so many people sitting eating food together. But uh, understand that, that almost every significant thing that we do uh, as people, really, like every holiday, every celebration, surrounds itself with a meal of some sort. Would you agree? It's just like, it's just what we do. And, uh, and this is not a new thing that, that just started, by the way. Uh, this is people forever, significant things have been happening over a meal. And a few moments ago, we read read a story from the end of Jesus's life. In fact, what we read read takes place on Thursday of of the Passion Week. Uh, Less than 24 hours later, Jesus is going to be hanging from a cross on Friday. And so this story that we read today, Thursday night after dark, um, and the, the disciples and Jesus have gathered together to have this sv- significant meal. It's a significant moment. And if you were here last week, uh, you, we talked a little bit about how there are, four, there are four accounts in our Bible, four different books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus. We call those the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of those four were disciples of Jesus, uh, uh, Matthew and John, And then Mark and Luke actually, uh, later on in life, interviewed a whole bunch of people, talked to a whole bunch of the disciples, and wrote out kind of a combined thing. So that's the story with those. Uh, All four of these books of the Bible tell the story of this Last Supper that we have. But there are slight differences between the four. In fact, the book of John which was written by John, the disciple, who was there and was in this room, okay? Like, he doesn't even mention the fact that Jesus broke bread and the the kind of the communion part of that. John actually focuses much more on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The other three don't even mention Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and they really focus on, around the table, Jesus breaking bread and having the wine and that, that thing that happened Right there, okay? Uh, Mark is the first person to have written about this. The book of Mark was written before the other four, uh, but all accounts of this story begin in the same way, telling us that, the holi- that it was a holiday known as Passover. Uh, Mark writes, and I'm, we're gonna kind of go through all of this that we read together here and, and really paint a picture of what this would have been like. All right, he writes, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread... When it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? The Jewish, the Jewish calendar, understand Jesus is a Jewish man, the disciples are all Jewish men. The Jewish calendar was filled with seven holidays of remembrance throughout the year. What does that mean, what do I mean by that? These are holidays, specifically for the Jewish people, that are centered around remembering and retelling the stories of what God did in the past. And they would sit around at different moments uh, and have meals about this, and they would tell the story, and they would pass on the information to the next generation, and they would do that every single year, seven different times about seven different things. Okay, both of the holidays, there are two holidays mentioned in our passage today, the Festival of Unleavened Bread and what's called the Passover Meal. Both of these these two holidays center around an event in history that is known as the Exodus. And quickly, if you don't know uh, Bible history, let me paint a picture of that story because it is really why the disciples and Jesus have gathered together for this meal, Okay, 1300 years before Jesus, 1300 years. Uh, the Jewish people were living in the nation of Egypt. Follow me here, okay? This is going to be a lot of information, but it's going to help us as we get going. Okay, they're living in Egypt. God had brought them there, but that's a story from an, for another day. Well, the Israelites in the nation of Jesus, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, all three of those are the same inner, same word, okay? Uh, but they're, they're living in Egypt, and they are multiplying like rabbits, Okay, this is what the story says, except it doesn't say like rabbits. They're going nuts. There there are more and more Hebrew people over and over again in the nation of Jesus. Pharaoh all of a sudden says, this is getting out of hand. Uh, There are too many Jews living in our nation, so he institutes slavery. He makes the entire Jewish people slaves in Egypt, and he demands that all Jewish male babies are killed part of the story, okay? This is the story of a man named Moses. This baby named Moses is born, a little boy that is supposed to be killed. His mom, in order to save his life, puts him in a little basket and floats him down the Nile River. This is in the Bible. Yeah, you'd get in trouble if you did that now, so don't do that, okay? But seriously, floats floats baby Moses in a basket down the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And Moses grows up, Moses is a Jewish baby, grows up being a prince in Egypt, okay? The Pharaoh's, not Sarah, Pharaoh's daughter, okay? And all of this happens. Well, as things begin to grow, uh, Moses grows up learning his heritage, the fact that he was a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. Long story short, Moses ends up killing an Egyptian slave master, and he flees into the desert, Okay. Uh, years later, God shows up to Moses in a burning bush and says, "Moses, you got to go back, talk to Pharaoh, tell him to let all the slaves go free." Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks that. Pharaoh lets all of the Jewish people, like a million of them, slaves who are building the pyramids that you can go visit now, by the way. But Pharaoh continues to say, No, I will not let them go. But each time Pharaoh says no, God sends a plague down on Egypt. Things like darkness in the middle of the day, diseases in their cattle bugs and frogs filling every, like it's awesome stuff, boils on the Egyptians' bodies. It's, it's awesome stuff, okay? But Pharaoh, Pharaoh continues to say no, even though all this stuff is happening. Uh, well, the 10th and final plague is the worst. Uh, it's the most drastic. It is the killing of the firstborn uh, of everyone in Egypt specifically by what the Bible calls the angel of death, Sounds super morbid, but this Pharaoh just would not listen to what God wanted to do. The angel of death swept through the entire kingdom of Egypt and killed every firstborn son in the entire land, all in one night. But God speaks to Moses and tells him what the, what the Jewish people need to do in order to be saved from this. And here's what they were to do. Listen to this if you don't know the story. The Israelites were to mark the outside of their doors, the outside of their homes, with lamb's blood. To mark it in that way. And when the angel of death saw the blood on the doors, it would pass over that home would pass over and protect those who were inside, and ultimately, this is how the Jewish people were freed from slavery. The, the blood of these innocent lambs saves the people. That's the story from Exodus, okay? There's a book of the Bible, second book of the Bible, Exodus tells this entire thing, and through that moment, then, God gives instructions to the Jewish people. This is 1300 years before Jesus was ever on the scene. Uh, God gives instructions to the Jewish people that each year they were to sit down and that they were to have a meal and celebrate what is called Passover. They would sit down with their families, sit down with their children, and they would remember, and they would tell the story, and they would pass it on to the next generation. And that meal was to happen on a very specific day in in the Jewish calendar, after the sun went down, and the, the Passover meal, and there was all sorts of specific things they were supposed to do. They were supposed to have lamb. They were supposed to have, okay, different things were going to be on the table at different times, and it was this meal focused on remembering what God did in the past when a lamb sacrificed so that the people were set free. That's what this is, okay? Now, Okay, Jesus here, by the way, is going to die just a few hours later from this meal. There's beautiful symbolism here, obviously, of the Lamb of God bleeding on the cross so that we could be free. But understand this, the Last Supper is Jesus, like at the very core of it, it is Jesus and his disciples celebrating the Passover meal together. That's what it is, but this would become so much more. So back to our story here. Uh, The disciples asked Jesus, where do you want us to celebrate the Passover meal. And the story says he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now that is so random, isn't it? Just like walk around the city. When you see some dude carrying a big jug of water, go talk to him. He'll tell you what to do next. I mean, this is like uh, weird CIA, Mission Impossible stuff almost. I just love this. Uh, And so they they go out, and, and he continues, he says, say Follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Okay, get everything that you need for us to have this Passover meal in that place. The disciples left, went into the city, found things just as Jesus had said, so they prepared the Passover. Okay, Uh, so cool. Uh, They follow the instructions just as, everything happens just as Jesus said that it would. Verse 18, now they're there, and they're celebrating this meal. And it says this, while they were reclining at the table eating. Okay, understand that the Last Supper was more than just the bread and the wine, and that happening. This was, a, this was an event. John, again, tells the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and teaching all sorts of other things, okay, in this, uh, in this evening where they're celebrating Passover. They're reclining at the table eating. He said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Uh, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. Uh, uh, the different translation just says, Is it I? Is it I? You know, it's kind of, that's the way that they phrase that. It is it is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. A couple of things to note here from this, okay? First, it says, while they were reclining at the table. It's kind of a weird thing to say, right? We would say, like, while they're sitting there, okay? While they're, while they're reclining at the table, um, Every Jewish historian agrees that they did not sit at dinner tables the way that we sit at dinner tables. Okay? They did they didn't they didn't look like that. Da Vinci's famous painting, go ahead and put this up. Okay, this is a bunch of baloney. Okay? <laughs> First of all, they did not sit at the table the way we sit at it, and they definitely didn't all sit at the same side. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's just kind of weird. Okay, Um, let let me show you a picture that would have been more of a realistic one. Go to the next one here for me. Okay, um, this is what it's thought to have looked like a low kind of this low table and they had these goofy pillows and the feet, the feet of the people would actually stick out kind of behind them. That's super weird for us, but this is the way that they would have eaten this meal. Um, and it kind of makes more sense if Jesus walks around and washes the disciples' feet. You know, you can see it, it's a little easier than saying, like, all right, hey, buddy, turn around. You know, they're moving their chairs around in circles, and you're okay. You know, you can kind of, th- this just, it makes more sense to the way the culture was working and, the, and all of that right there, okay? Um, uh, th- this is also where Jesus points out he's going to be betrayed. In Mark's version of the story, he doesn't name Judas, but Matthew and John both do; they name, they, he names Judas in this right here. Um, and so back to our passage in Mark. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, "Take it; this is my body." Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Jesus goes through what we call communion, or the Lord's Supper, or maybe you've heard the phrase the Eucharist, um, which that sounds like a super churchy, uh, confusing word, but Eucharist just means thanksgiving, is all that that means. Um, Jesus takes bread, now this, this bread would have would have not had yeast in it of any kind. That's a part of the holiday and stuff. Okay, we don't need to talk a lot about that, but it would have been like more of a flat thing, or almost even could have been more like a crispy cracker. Uh, something like that, but a flat, no yeast in this bread. And, uh, and he takes this, he gives thanks to God, he breaks it, and passes it around, says this is my body, uh, this is my body, take this and eat this. Then Jesus grabs the cup, filled with wine, And again, he gives thanks for it. He begins to pass it around. They take a drink from the same cup. And Jesus, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The Gospel of Luke, uh, out of the four accounts, adds where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Mark here doesn't say that line. That comes up again uh, with the Apostle Paul, actually, years later. But this is really the story that we have. This is what we have. Now, let me, let me kind of give you a, a big picture, three-minute version of this, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what is communion and what is, what, what is this supposed to look like for us today, and we'll kind of hash this out, okay? Again, it's a holiday. It is Passover. It is, that is why they are gathered together. Uh, It's this beautiful meal, one of the most important days of the year for the Jewish people. Everybody in this culture would have done this. It is significant. It matters in a massive way. Jesus is Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. At the core of this event, these are Jewish men remembering the blood of these lambs that was poured out so that the Jewish people were saved 1,300 years ago. But then Jesus takes this meal in a completely different direction he takes items from, the ta- items from the table right there in front of him as they're having a meal, and he begins to symbolically connect them to what was about to happen. Again, we are talking less than 24 hours later. Uh, Jesus is going to walk away from this meal right here, go immediately to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to be arrested. That's the next event in the timeline. And less than 24 hours, uh, by 3 o'clock on Friday, Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross. And so this is the timeline that we have. But symbolically, he's connecting this to his death. The disciples do not understand what is happening, they don't get it. Uh, They would in the future. They're going to look back and tell stories of this. But this moment is tense, this moment is strange, it's confusing. To the disciples, they have all sorts of questions uh, and different things. Like remember, this is the very, very end. This meal is massively important to Jesus and there is deep, deep symbolism here uh, between Passover and the crucifixion that is about to happen. Blood is central to both moments. Blood is what is going to save the people from, uh, from whatever... In fact, the Bible uses the word lamb to talk about Jesus. We see this in Isaiah 53. I'm not going to show you that one. Even this is 700 years before Jesus came. It talks about the Messiah being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Okay, Uh, Jesus then shows, he shows up on the scene in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus, and what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, it's the Son of God, or hey, Jesus is here, the Messiah is here. He says, look, the Lamb of God is here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus was the Lamb being led to the slaughter to set people free from sin and darkness. Of course, this is a beautiful moment in uh, the last few hours of Jesus' life, but this is also a beautiful moment for us here today, and it it should be. Um, Luke chapter 22, again, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. He tells his disciples in this. Okay. Acts chapter 2, this is just a few a few days or months after Jesus now leaves, and we have this about the the first, the start of the Christian church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Like the very beginning of the Christian church, we see this already starting to be a thing where people gather together, and this was a part of what they do. Uh, The apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, like 20 or so years after the death of Jesus, brings up the idea of the church remembering Jesus by taking communion as a part of that gathering. So, for like four minutes here, uh, let me explain a little bit about communion when it comes to our church right here, right now. Because all Christian churches, by the way, agree that the Lord's Supper communion should be a part of what we do. But from that point right there, things get super messy and everyone starts arguing about things and, okay, Uh, and your traditions growing up may be very different than the way that we do things here. And so quickly, let me just talk about that. First, first, don't miss this right here. This is important, okay? We do not make the connection between taking communion and our sins being forgiven in that moment, Let me make that very clear. We do not, like what what do I mean by that? We do not see it biblically in the scripture that the process of us taking communion is receiving grace or receiving forgiveness in that exact moment. I just, I do not see that in the scripture. Our sins are forgiven through Christ's death on the cross, not by us doing anything, uh, like in fact, I don't really like. For some of us, you're not going to understand this, but like for some of us, this is a big deal. I don't really like the theology of of what's called the sacraments in the way that they taught. Why? Because that implies that we are forgiven and saved and receiving grace uh, because of something we do. And I don't see that theologically or scripturally played out at all. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. The word word works here, uh, defined as a task, an action, or an obligation, And right here, Ephesians, just the idea here, you are not forgiven by a task, by an action, or by an obligation. You are forgiven, you are saved, if you want to use churchy words here, by the grace of God and receiving what Jesus did by faith. That's what we have scripturally. So we would adamantly argue with the idea that taking communion is what forgives my sins. All right? Uh, music team, will you please come? So what, so what is communion, and what does it do? And so this is our, this is our understanding scripturally of what this is. Uh, communion humbles, reminds, and unites the people of God. Communion humbles the people of God, reminds the people of God, and unites the people of God. We don't have much time here, but let's work through these three things quickly Communion, it humbles the people of God. What does that mean? When we hang on to these elements and we hold this in our hands, it should be a humbling experience as we become more and more aware of our frailty as people and more and more aware of our need for God. Uh, We simply cannot do this on our own. We are in need we are all sinners, and we are all in need of a Savior, and we hang on to these, this, these items, and we begin, to, we begin to think of how big our God is, and how small we are, and how God created it all. He is the creator, and we are the creation, and we are, that is the situation here, and we are, we are humbled as we hang on to this right here. Uh, Second, communion reminds us, reminds us. what What does that mean? Communion is all about remembering. Do this in remembrance of me. Even Jesus, from the very beginning, we see that. Remembering the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Remembering what he went through. Remembering the blood of Jesus. What he endured so that we could be forgiven and free. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is taking a moment where we pause in our busy lives, in our busy schedules, and even our church services that are filled with so many different things here where we just take a deep breath and we remember that Jesus died and what that was like. Communion reminds us, reminds us, okay? Um, Communion also unites the people of God. You can take communion alone. You can uh, you can take it in a hospital room or with your family, but scripturally, communion is a corporate thing. It is a together thing. As we stand or sit or kneel, and we take communion, we do this together. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples were together. It's a beautiful, unifying moment of the people of God. Communion humbles us. It reminds us, and it unites us. It is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something where we go through the motions. It's not just a church tradition. This matters. It's important. Please stand with me all over this place. Last week we talked about how traditions can oftentimes turn into the wrong things. Things that started out being right can often become wrong because we drift and we take things in the way that we shouldn't. This is a moment right here where we, in absolute reverence and humility, we focus and we remember. And so we take our, we take our little items together and go ahead and open that little part with the, the cracker. Bible says on the night, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we we humbly just take a moment to think about and cast our minds on, on what you did you died, when your body was beaten, when your body was broken, we think about that today, Jesus, we do not take that lightly, and we remember the price that you paid on that cross in your name, we pay, we pray, amen, go ahead and take that part, and then he took the cup said this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins take this and do this in remembrance of me and Jesus we Jesus we are reminded of your very blood that was poured out of your body in a horrendous way so that we could be forgiven and that we could be free We thank you for your blood, Jesus, and what that means for us today. We do not just go through the motions today, Jesus. We do not just do traditions. We truly focus our minds and our hearts on the price that you paid on that cross and how that changed things for us. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you. In your name we pray. Let's take that part together. we're done we just want to take a moment and maybe give somebody an opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus for the very first time I don't know why you're here today I don't know if someone brought you or I don't know maybe you've been here a hundred times before but this really has this has never become a real thing for you see the Bible says that you are saved you are forgiven that the grace of God is is, is completely and 100% from what Jesus did for us. There is nothing you can do to earn that. You cannot work hard enough, you cannot do enough good things. You are forgiven by the grace of God and the grace of God alone through faith. It is when we take, when we take our mind and our lives and we say, Jesus, I believe in what you did for me and I receive this gift. See, it's not a gift that's what the Bible calls, it's a gift of God. It's not a gift if you have to do something to get it. It's this beautiful gift and we say, Jesus, I received this gift that you have. And with no one looking around, just a moment of privacy and reflection, who here in this place, or maybe watching behind a screen right now, would even just say, I have never, I've never received this gift that that, that God has given through Jesus. If that's you, and you say, I want to do that today, just show me your hand right now. Just show me your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down, thank you. You can respond right online as well, if you are watching, you could do that. But church, everyone in this place, let's just pray this prayer together. Pray, Father God, God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, forgive me of my sins, and change my life. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, can we just celebrate today?